Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. Be sure to hit the follow on your preferred listening platform right now so you can have the latest show dropped right into your feed. On today's show, there are a number of certainties in life, death, taxes and Harry Maguire and Jordan Henderson being selected for England. We'll go through Gareth Southgate's latest England selection, piece by piece, and have a typical mode about who's been chosen, because let's be honest, is there anyone that's really happy with the squad after it's been chosen? And it's the night before the big day, and I'm not talking about Christmas, but the transfer deadline day, where we'll unpack the latest last-minute shopping by Premier League clubs up and down the country. And you're probably wondering why Niall's got such a gorgeous Mancunian accent. Well, unfortunately for him, it's me, Joel Tudor, taking the reins of the host today as he celebrates his, what is it, Marley's 40, 47th birthday, something like that. I was trying to work this out. I, I genuinely don't know how old Niall is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm joined by another FSD antique, and if you can't hear him already, it's Marley Anderson. <laughs> antique, wow, brilliant. Uh, I think all worse. Sunday league starts again this season. I'm sure I'm going to be called worse. Christ! Uh, Few the dads on the touchline will be. Actually, it's not the dads anymore. Who even comes to visit people on a on a Sunday league? No one. Is it just the misses <laughs> or the latest girlfriend? It's, it's literally like dog walkers that are surprised <laughs> that it's a Sunday morning, um, and then you you look over and the dog's curling one out on the touchline. You're just like, please pick that up because somebody's going to go sliding through that in about five minutes' time. And you don't want your dog. With his leftover curry yeah, coming out his <laughs> other end, you know what I mean? It's horrible. It's funny how when we were younger, it used to be, oh, that guy in the in the coat, he might be a scout for Man United, and now you know that dream is completely dead. We a few weeks ago, we we had a we had a guy uh, watching our game, and he was uh, he was a scout for Rochdale. And did anything come and, off it? Uh, I didn't see him talk to anyone, no. <laughs> right, well. Certainly not let's me. Say, let's move straight into it then. So, the biggest news this morning, if everyone's not aware, the England squad's just been announced for the games against Ukraine and Scotland. A few 
iffy decisions, a few shocking decisions. I don't think, like I said, I don't think anyone's massively happy about an England squad being selected. But we'll go from the beginning, which is the goalkeepers, of course. And it is been selected that Sam Johnston, Jordan Pickford and Aaron Ramsdale have been the choices for Gareth Southgate. Obviously, a big glaring omission, Marley. Nick Pope, what's going on? Because I don't think there's an injury that's been made public yet. So is he actually the preferred choice to be selected out in favour of these three? I I don't know, to be honest. It, it was I don't know what's going on. I remember at the end of last season, um, Pope pulled out of an England squad because... Oh, sorry, he didn't get into the England squad. He told Southgate he wasn't available because he had planned hand surgery. Uh, he had, a, he had a, uh, some sort of wrist or whatever, finger injury. He needed surgery on it. So Johnston came into that squad while uh, Pope missed the last Premier League game uh, and then recovered all summer so he could be fit for the start of the season. But he started all of our games so far, all three of them. He's been been good, been been fine. Um, and then somehow Sam Johnston has, you know, he's been Crystal Palace's first choice keeper for like six months ish. Um, then Gaeta left the the club in the summer. But I don't understand why Johnston's in ahead of Pope. Um, I feel like. It's, I don't know, it's a weird one. I, I don't, don't understand it, to be honest. I don't think anyone in the country really thinks Sam Johnson's better than, than Nick Pope. There was obviously strong talk a year ago about Pope taking the number one shirt off, um, off Pickford for good, but it's um, it's a strange one for me, but maybe, maybe he'll explain it. Maybe Pope might be injured and nobody knows about it, but you know, to the best of my, my knowledge, he's, he's absolutely fine. I'm just thinking with the goalkeeping selection, it's almost like the Harry Kane opposite in terms of the attackers where anyone who's a striker that's coming into the England setup knows that Harry Kane's the number one. Is that the case with the England goalkeepers now where Jordan Pickford, he's been number one for Southgate for nearly five, six years now since the 2018 World Cup? Is he, has he, no matter what he does for Newcastle, does he ever have a real chance of even breaching that number one position? He, he should do, shouldn't he? Because at the end of the day, what's the point of of international football if it's not your best players? Like, we're, obviously, we're going to talk about this when we come on to Harry Maguire, Calvin Phillips, uh, Jordan Henderson all being in the squad as well. Like, where there shouldn't be any sort of glass ceiling. Pickford is Pickford's playing in a shocking Everton team. He's still playing quite good football, um, and he's never let somebody down for England. He's always played quite well, really. Um, but it should be I, f- I feel like you know with Kane uh, you've compared it there with Kane yes you know it's good for strikers to get in the England squad but ultimately they know Kane's going to play 90 minutes unless it's you know San Marino away and you know we already qualified or whatever but with the goalkeepers it should be different because we haven't got a goalkeeper who's obviously world class just playing for a crap team we've just we've got a goalie who I'd say, I'd say we've got three similar level goalies, Ramsdale, Pickford and Pope. I see them as very, very similar. Um, Ramsdale's got a howler in him, Pickford has two. Pope's probably the most solid goalkeeper in, in England, but his his footwork and his, his distribution with his feet is not as good as, as the previous two. So it's it's one of them, but I feel like it should be up for up for grabs that that, that place. It, it shouldn't be concreted in with Jordan Pickford because I, I, I don't think he's got that level of, of pull about him that he's clearly the best in, in England. 
Yeah, it'll be an interesting one, the goalkeeper conversation. But let's move on to the defenders. So his selection is Ben Chilwell, Levi Colwell, his first call-up for the senior side, Lewis Dunk, Mark Guahy, Harry Maguire, Fikayo Tamori, who I'm massively pleased for, who always seems to get overlooked after every single squad. Kieran Trippier and Kyle Walker is the last defender. So... First of all, let's talk about the people who have been chosen. I know there's a glaring, glaring name in there that a lot of people are going to have on their lips. But for Kaio Tomori, he's been an outstanding player for AC Milan in this last few years. I've been a massive advocate for him to actually come into the team. Um, alongside, obviously, Levi Colwell, who is probably going to be one of the best defenders for Chelsea going into this next season now. But the big one, Harry Maguire. He's won that is almost up for debate after every single squad because he's not played any minutes this season whatsoever. Obviously, John Stones and Tyrone Mings are injured, which probably allows him even more chance to get into it. But he keeps his place despite being fourth choice at Manchester United. So is it justified considering he's been a mainstay in that Southgate setup since 2018? Ah, it's the, the million-dollar question again, isn't it? It's when when's he going to lose his place? When's... When's the horse gonna fall from the tree? We don't know when he's. We don't know how he got there, but you know, it's 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 that thing for me. It's like if you keep waiting, if if you keep saying, "Oh, he's never made a mistake for England," are we just waiting for him to make a mistake so then you can drop him? Because that's the dangerous game to play. What if that game comes in a, a World Cup semi final or a European, you know, final or something like that? What, what are we waiting for? The funny thing is, I feel like we're gonna be waiting a long time for it because every. I feel like him in an England shirt and in the England setup is perfect for him, especially when Southgate went three at the back. I know he's alternated it slightly, but that three at the back formation for him brought out his strengths more than anything, especially sometimes when England are under the cosh against the better sides and he's the one who's sitting deep, you know, rather than playing out from the back. Yeah, yeah, but even that though, like, there's an old sort of uh, theory that you play a back three when you're defensively weak. Um, when you need two two other guys to bail one guy out if he if he makes a mistake, so if Maguire makes a mistake, when England play a back three, it tends to be with Kyle Walker as the third centre back, and the guy's lightning, he's grease lightning. I feel like just because you've got Kyle Walker as a as a third centre back, that shouldn't be an excuse to put Maguire in, because it's not like uh, you know it, there shouldn't be that theory of well if Harry makes a mistake, Kyle will catch him. Like you shouldn't think like that. You should think we're gonna play a back three because we can control the ball and pass it into midfield a bit better and, and bring it out or play with a flat back four and have a more dynamic midfield and a you know a stronger a stronger setup in total but we're still getting Maguire and he'll probably start but even if he plays well he plays well against what Ukraine and then Scotland and then goes back to to Man United and sits on the bench for another six weeks until the next England camp rolls rolls along there's not enough in any Let's say he plays 180 minutes. That 180 minutes doesn't get him in back in the Man United squad, because uh, sorry team, because Ukraine and Scotland aren't good enough to to say well he's played well against them, so we're going to stick him in the Champions League next uh, next week or whatever. It's just not. It doesn't work like that. But Southgate Southgate's got his friend, hasn't he? That's, that's what he likes, and he's he's got five or six centre backs there, and only you know four of them are going to play exactly that and there's another situation in the midfield as well where 
basically the same situation Harry Maguire finds himself in. Uh, If we just list the midfield at the moment, it's Trent Alexander-Arnold, Jude Bellingham, who's had an amazing start at Real Madrid, Conor Gallagher, Jordan Henderson, Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice. I mean, the two names there that stand out for me, Jordan Henderson is such a conscientious choice, a really one up for debate in terms of why he's there. Obviously, he's moved to the Saudi Pro League, I don't even think he should be considered anymore. I know he left England and it was widely reported that he had assurances from Gareth Southgate that if he is to leave, he'll still be allowed in the England setup. But, you know, you see some of the emissions in the midfield that have gone out in favour of him. You know, Jared Bowen potentially one, um, Ward Prowse being another one. Surely those players are more deserving now to get an England place, even in a, pre- a preliminary squad before the Euros, than Jordan Henderson, who's basically picked up his stuff, gone to Saudi, which is an absolute huge tier below the Premier League pace and the Premier League quality. How, how is that allowed? I don't understand that. I don't either, to be honest. Um, I know it's getting better and I know it might be might become something, but... For now, he's he's gone to Saudi. Even the travelling, <laughs> even the travelling's an issue. Like coming back from Saudi, you're <laughs> yeah. gonna get a tired 33 year old Jordan Henderson, whose legs have gone anyway, to to put into that team. I I just I feel like his move should have been the end of it. Like okay, you go in there, but we've got players who aren't who are in better leagues, that are playing in better leagues. That that should be for me like the the natural end to his international career but I think it says a lot about England's centre midfielders I don't think there's that many of them I think Rice Bellingham um, and uh, especially and the other. holding midfielders yeah mm. it's just like who else like Phillips is still in the squad I, I, I don't think Southgate wants to pick Phillips but there's no other centre midfielders really there who's like who's out there that's I mean I've always been a big fan of, obviously, a bit biased, but Joe Willock. But he's injured, he's, he's done his hamstrings out till Christmas. This could have been the perfect time for him to take over, but he got a bad injury towards the last season. And and there's there's other players out there. Gallagher's never done anything for Chelsea this season. Or last. He was he struggled. He's not been, not been England quality since he left Crystal Palace. But because there's no one else, really, you look at the, the guys that are unlucky to be left out. You've mentioned Bowen. Solly March is another one who's been brilliant. Um, mm. But the wingers, they're not they're not centre midfielders. So you're looking at that and saying, who else is there? Because I, th- I just think it's a lack of options at the minute where we're just going, well, who's out there? We need four centre midfielders in, in the squad. And one's playing in Saudi um, for 700 bags a week. And then you've got Calvin Phillips who can't get off the bench. Um, and Man City signing more and more midfielders to, to push him even further down the pecking order. I'm, I'm really interested to see when Jordan Henson eventually links up with all of the England squad Obviously, he was trying to tap up Jude Bellingham in the last one. I'm sure he's going to be showing everybody, you know, the extra zeros on his bank account and saying, "Guys, <laughs> come and take come and take a walk on the wild side." is is nice over here. Um, but <laughs> let's move on to the attacking side. It seems like England is just so top heavy at the moment. Like you mentioned with with the midfield, it seems like a necessity more than actually wanting to choose these players. But the forward setup is Eberechieze, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Harry Kane. James Madison, Eddie Nketiah, Marcus Rashford, Bukayo Saka and Callum Wilson. Obviously a first caller for Eddie Nketiah. He's got two goals in three games so far this season. I personally really like Eddie Nketiah. I can see 
a, I can see a player in him. I, I see so much potential. Obviously, Arteta's put a lot of faith in faith in him at the start of this season, but to not put Ollie Watkins in ahead of him, and again, to our knowledge, we don't know if he's injured or not. I'm pretty sure he's still quite fit and ready to play in the next game for Aston Villa. But to put Eddie Nketiah ahead of him, I think's pretty criminal. Do you not think? I I don't know. I I don't I don't disagree with it. Um, I think I think the difference is Nketiah is he's not that good a player in terms of what he gives you, but he gives you goals. He'll get you tappings. He's he's a he's a fox in the box type of striker. He's I put him put him in there with like, um, <laughs> I put him in there with you know like Billy Sharp, who was never. Right. Do you know what I mean? Just the guy who's going to stand just, on the goal line and get you a he'll goal. He'll just bag you one. Like if it drops in the box, he'll be there. And if it's a, a fizzed across the six yard box, he'll be there for a tapping. Another one is like Jermaine Defoe from back in the day. Defoe never had any physical prowess, but he he made such a good career out of just being in the right place and being a sick finisher. And I think Nketi has got that. He doesn't give you much other than than just being in the place at the right time. So he's got a touch of like, you know, people criticise Erling Haaland for not getting involved in the game, but then scoring and you go, well, he's mm. played well, he's done his job. I think that's a, I think that's kind of similar with Nketiah. Like, if you look at his game, he won't sort of dribble or he won't batter a centre-back out of the way for a header, but he'll be there when the centre-back falls asleep for... A millisecond and I think that's the opposite of Watkins I think Watkins is is not as much of a threat if you if you can contain his pace I don't think Watkins is a natural finisher I think Nketiah Wilson and obviously Harry Kane are um, I think that's what Southgate's um, putting his faith in and also Nketiah's scored a couple of goals this season and Watkins hasn't found the net in, in three games yet so maybe it's one of them It seems like the only position in the whole squad where it is actually up for grabs. Where if a midfielder actually plays better than Calvin Phillips, for example, it seems like Calvin Phillips will always take that spot. Or if a defender has a better season than Maguire, Maguire will always take that spot. But going into the uh, omissions that have obviously been left out, you've had Jared Bowen. He's had a quite lightning start to the season. Obviously, he got into the squad a year, year and a half ago and hasn't really seen it ever since. You've had Raheem Sterling, another one. He started the season really well for Chelsea. He's not been in the squad as of late. And again, I think a big one, Ben White. Ever since he got taken home from the World Cup squad, he's just never been seen again, which is quite strange considering he's playing for a team that are going for the title or went for the title last year. And now he's never been called up. I do think something's gone on behind the scenes there in terms of maybe some kind of confrontation or some kind of outburst that which has basically made Southgate say you're never going to be part of my squads again but they're the three omissions that I can think of any of those you think should be included or anyone else that you think deserved a spot uh I think I think Solly March is unlucky um because of his his form towards the end of last season and even to the start of this I think he's got two goals on the opening day didn't he um but you look at who he's up against and you think if Solly March is a right winger, he's up against Saka, so he's never playing there. And then if Saka's not there, who plays? You've got Sterling left out of the squad. You've got uh, Foden there as well. You've got Madison, who's played on a wing for England. You've got Grealish on the other side. You know, you've got... Um, 
you know, countless players there, basically. Like, how are you going to get in? As well as he's playing, and as much as I am, I am a fan of Caps being a reward for playing well. Like, you don't... I'm never sort of against a player just getting a one-off cap because they're playing amazing. Like, I feel like it that is a reason to get in the squad. You don't have to be in the squad because you're going to be in the next 10 squads and you're going to be a key part of the, the, the sort of team of the future. But you've got to look at that and say, well, where does he actually play? Like, at the end of the day, he probably wants to not just get in the squad, but get in the team and actually earn a cap. Because if you get a call-up, you're not, you know, you don't... You're not ineligible for another team, for example. You, you haven't fully played for England unless you get on the pitch, and it's one of them where I uh, I do feel sorry for him, but I, I I don't see where he plays. I don't uh, if there's an injury crisis, does does then Solly March play? It's like yeah, of course. But if an injury crisis happens, you've still got four wingers ahead of him. Yeah, it's it's a highly congested area the England attacking setup, and obviously the squad. No one's ever going to be happy with it, regardless of what Southgate chooses. But that's the England squad, which is going to face Scotland and Ukraine in a couple of weeks' time, an international break already, after just two weeks of the Premier League season. But let's move into the more exciting part of the podcast next, as we look at the absolute transfer chaos prior to transfer deadline day. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the show and right now all I'm seeing is chaos, chaos, chaos on the transfer market prior to the transfer deadline day tomorrow. The biggest surprise for me being Barcelona's winger Ansu Fati joining Brighton. Yep, you heard that right. Brighton on a season-long loan. It looked as if he was going to be joining Big Ange at Spurs, but obviously deserve he's managed to somehow sway him to the south coast. Might have been the sea breeze. But he's broken into the Barcelona team at 17. Got Lionel Messi's number 10 shirt shortly after. Obviously suffered then a big injury, which has hampered his comeback in Xavi's team. But for me, to see him go from Barcelona, then get linked to Spurs, and then end up at Brighton... I mean, what what your thoughts on that? Because for me, I just thought it's just a huge show of ambition. Obviously, they were linked to Kudus earlier on, but to get Fatty, I mean, it's an unbelievable consolation. Yeah, this is uh, this is a mad one. I didn't I didn't even hear about it until this morning, um, and then the first time I heard about it, it was Fabrizio Romano giving it the old "here we go," and it's it's actually it's not just <laughs> speculation; it, it's on this. Um, it's mental because Fatih's career has obviously stalled a little bit. Um, I always felt Barcelona gave him the number ten shirt too early. I think if you if you're giving him Messi's number ten, I feel like they they should have left that vacant for a couple of years and and then a lot of pressure, isn't it, to take such a shirt? The guy who's literally been the best ever yeah. for Barcelona. Yeah, and it's just yeah, it's a, it, it was a mistake, but it's probably not in the top ten mistakes Barcelona have made over the past five years. So. Then again, you, you you sort of got to contextualise it like that a little bit. But I, th- I feel like it's it's the first time we've ever seen Brighton get a, a big big name. Um, you know, for the whenever Brighton sell players, we just go, well, Brighton will will regenerate. They'll sign some wonder kid from South America or whatever, um, and they'll they'll do their scouting properly. I think. But their achievements on the pitch have allowed them to to shop in you know a, a a higher market type of thing. Like they're they're one of the top six clubs in England in terms of 
but in terms of stats, they finished did they finish sixth sixth last season or fifth? Um, and you know they're in Europe, and it's the first time Brighton have gone up, gone gone for a player who has probably got the pick of five or six clubs really. Um, and we've talked about you know Spurs wanted him, um, but he chose Brighton, and it's like. It's nice to see that he's he's using his head. He's not just going for the traditional bigger club in Spurs, who aren't in Europe, um, and choosing Brighton. He's gone. They've got a forward-thinking coach. They play really good f- football. Um, we can get into. Well, we're in Europe, so when I play, you know, playing the Europa League every week, it's it's better for my career, and I I I love that from Brighton. I love that they've they've made this move. I do think personally, it's more of I think. I think the expectation should be tempered slightly and that's only because I do see it more from Barcelona's perspective as a developmental loan because I think if Tottenham were allowed to say have a buy option at the end of it I think they might have gone all the way but because there's no buy option in the actual loan deal I think Barcelona are more so seeing it as we see Fatty as an important player for our future but why not more better to go to a club like Brighton to develop our player? And obviously Brighton will say, well, we'll take a player of his quality because he's so influential or could be so influential uh, to our club in the way that De Zerbi sets up as well. But I mean, let's not forget, Brighton were a League One side six years ago. So in terms of that perspective, it's such a huge, huge coup. Um, But now I'm thinking, has the Premier League dynamic shifted because... You've got West Ham signing Mohamed Kudus, who was linked with every single big club in Europe. You've got Fatty going to Brighton. You've got big clubs making 50, uh, smaller clubs making 50 million plus signings and bids everywhere. Are they equally now as attractive as the top six clubs? Obviously not in terms of their stature, but in terms of what they can offer some of the best players in Europe. Probably not on the the financial side of it, but I... it's kind of hard to hard to put into words. It's like, I think if a player's got, properly thinks about what's good for him, then I think that Brighton are a serious option. Because a lot of people might just think, like a lot of, you know, foreign players might just think, Brighton, who are Brighton? Like what, you know, what what is Brighton? I've heard of Spurs, I've heard of Liverpool, I've heard of, you know, even, even West Ham or something like that. And they kind of, gravitate towards that type of club if there's an option to go there but I like this because Fatty's just gone hang on look at look at the um look at the with the way they play now like they play probably the most attractive football outside of outside of Manchester City um maybe outside Liverpool and maybe Newcastle in there as well but probably on a par with them and it's one of them where Fatty's had a look at it and gone, a year there could be really good for me because there's no option to buy. It's not like not like Barcelona are just, you know, binning me off. Um so there's a there's a route back into it for him if if it goes well at at, Bar- at Brighton. Um and and Barcelona have probably looked at it and gone, Brighton's a good fit for us because look at the way they play. They play in a similar way to Barcelona. They dominate the ball, they move it fast, they keep it on the floor, they play dynamic, good football, and that's this, that's what Brighton's achievements should get them. People should notice and start thinking about Brighton as a as a power sort of thing. And it all it takes sort of the first person to make that move, um, to sort of establish them and, and a player like Ansu Fati coming to, to Brighton 
and hopefully for for his sake, absolutely killing it at Brighton. That would be uh, maybe that's the first of of Brighton becoming a, a a bit of a financial player as well as a sort of underdog type of thing. Yeah, I totally agree. He'll be one to watch, I think, this season for sure. And anyone who plays the fantasy football. 100% definitely on the watch list, especially for my team anyway at the moment. It's suffering big time. But moving on, we've got another young talent potentially moving on to England, and that's Ryan Gravenberch, who is now being potentially moved on by Bayern Munich after moving from Ajax last year. Didn't play more than 45 minutes in a Bundesliga game all season. What is the latest with this? Because Liverpool seem to be beating around the bush, in my opinion, in terms of what they actually need in midfield. I do think they need more depth after Fabinho, Milner, Henderson, Carvalho have all left this summer. But Gravenberch is more of a number eight. He's not a dictator. He's not a holding midfielder that I think Liverpool are almost wanting to convert him into or think that he can be. What do you think happens with this one? Because it seems a very last-minute, not desperate, but you know he's a player that's on the fringes of Bayern. And historically speaking, whenever Bayern Munich wants to get rid of a player willingly, it's typically for a reason that they don't think he's up to scratch. And I know it's difficult breaking into that pivot of um, Kimmich and whoever else is next to him, Goretzka, for example. But is he a player that Liverpool even need? I'm not sure, you know. Um, I think I'm on the same thing as you there, where I'm looking at the number eights um, at the minute and they're sort of box-to-box guys. You've got Alexis McAllister and Shabozlai, who are both quality players. I think if everybody... Um, you know, everybody's fit, I think they play. Um, Graven Birch is one of them where I think it's it's came up and they've gone, bloody hell, he's good, should we get him? And it's like they don't they don't really need him. They they could have done with spending a large chunk on getting a, a defensive midfielder that's gonna be in your team for the next six six years plus really. But it's one of them where it's came up and they've gone, We can't miss out on this guy because if he goes to I mean, Chelsea are bound to be interested. They're interested in everyone. It, it's Chelsea, yeah. So it's it's one of them where I I feel like they're just acting a bit like it. It feels like a club without a plan at the minute. I think they've been so baffled by this Saudi money coming in and taking, particularly Fabinho, um, that they're they're sort of going off. Oh, well, who do we buy? Like, should we? We were going to buy McAllister anyway. But then they've gone for Shabozla, who was close to Newcastle at one point, when uh, when the money for for, for Fabinho came in. Um, then they signed Endo on a, a bit of a panic. I, I thought they they acted too quickly to get to get Endo. I thought they could have had another week or two of of collating a list and then going for someone on that list. Because from the minute they were linked with Endo, eighteen hours later he was in the shirt. It was bizarre. It was so quick. It's like he couldn't believe um, it was happening. <laughs> Yeah, well, he couldn't have got out of Stuttgart quick enough. Yeah, so you know what I mean. It's it was crazy, but yeah, I feel like Liverpool have they're sort of they're just taking what they can get really, and I'm not sure they've got a plan there. I do think you're right. Um, I think the Saudi but, influence this summer is something that they didn't account for when at the start of the season there was talks of Bellingham potentially going. They probably thought, well, we're not ever going to be able to afford this because no one in our team can warrant. 40 million, 30 million, and suddenly Fabinho's going for 35, 40 million. Jordan Henderson's gone for a decent amount. 
so many other players have started to gain decent fees and now they're probably looking back thinking oh in hindsight if we just kind of understood that this was going to be the case they might have actually been able to put a, some kind of package together for someone like Jude Bellingham but there's another player that's almost caught in the crossfire a bit of a love triangle going on at the moment which is Fulham Jao Polina I know we've all been singing his praise over the last few weeks in the Premier League he's been such a huge player for Fulham and Bayern are now interested in him, obviously following Ryan Gravenberch's links away to Liverpool. It's been reported that they've offered £50 million for the 28-year-old and the player wants the move, but Fulham want a larger fee. So should Fulham allow him to leave this late on as it could potentially derail their whole season? I think in my opinion, to let someone of that calibre in your team, he is literally the glue of that team. To let him go one day before deadline day, no matter how much money they receive for him, I think it's just almost telling your fans we're kind of putting our guard down, we're putting our tools down for this season because they've got the upper hand. Turn your computer off for 48 hours and you keep him. Turn your fax machine off and he's, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, stick that there. Eh? Stick the fax machine in the Thames over that stand, uh, just lob it off the end and be like, oh, sorry, we didn't get your emails, lads. Um, but then if they did that, Saudi would come in in a week's time and prize him away anyway. So it's it's uh, <laughs> And they would turn up. Yeah. So I don't know. if Put it this way, Fulham are going to do bloody well to, to turn down, to convince a, a 28-year-old player that he doesn't want to go to Bayern and say, no, stay with us while we try and finish 12th in the league. That's the thing when... That's the position Fulham and I put Crystal Palace and Wolves in this in this bracket as well of when they get a good player, when people realise you've got a good player, it's so hard to keep hold of them because then they go, well, I'm 28. The German 11-time champions are interested in me. They play Champions League. I'm never going to do that here. They're winning trophies. I'm never going to do that here. They're paying probably 150 grand a week. I'm never going to get that here. It's so hard for them to then turn that down and it's similar with Palace with with Eze and Elise and Zahar like when they when they have interest they'll they'll go because they're ultimately and Gehi as well probably when whenever serious interest comes in in him it's so hard to stay because you know it's not that uh, it's not that difficult to to put thing you know, to line them up and say would I rather play for Bayern or Fulham like it's it's a five year uh, sorry a five second decision so They'll do really well. It's just a case of can they have they? It's almost like disaster planning. Like, okay, if Zhao goes, who are we gonna get? Who can we go for quickly that we can get? And I'd be looking at Man City and going, can we have, can we have Calvin Phillips on loan for a year, and then we'll let Zhao Polina go to to Bayern for sixty five million, seventy million, whatever it is. Um, and then... You'd think that they'd have some kind of contingency plan, though, because it's not like he's an unknown player. I mean, there's been talks of links to so many different clubs for him over the last month or so. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if they want to replace him permanently in two days, every club's going to know you, you've got 60 million in the bank, so suddenly the premium for them goes up times two anyway. So it's a, I can see both sides. I can see Paulinho's side in terms of wanting to leave, but I can also see Fulham's side, which is how is it fair on us a team that could potentially be battling relegation to lose our 
star asset in our midfield. It's it's, it's, it's it's really tough. That's why I think a lot of small clubs hate the transfer window when it goes to this 31st, 1st of September. Whereas the bigger clubs like Bayern, I mean, it's like an eagle looking for its prey. They can just take who they want and they know it's going to unsettle everyone. And although it sounds like chaos, coming up after the break, I'm going to talk about some real chaos, which is my club, Manchester United, next. And finally, the Manchester United circus continues. They're interested in Fiorentina's Sofian Amrabat from Fiorentina. There has been interest since June. It seems that there's some FFP rules which have got the club in a tight vice grip at the moment, with reports that United are looking to take him on loan with an option to buy next summer, though Fiorentina are wanting an obligation to buy, and rightly so considering United's size. But do you think that it's slightly embarrassing because I know from my standpoint I feel embarrassed that a club of United size are having to resort to loans near deadline day to almost cover and compensate for all the inadequacies around the pitch it makes me feel like the club aren't big enough at the moment yeah it's uh it's a weird one because he's he's there he's for sale uh I don't think Fiorentina were ever going to stand in his way they're probably thinking brilliant after that uh, that World Cup where he was the he was the best midfielder at the tournament in my opinion, um, especially like combative midfielder, ball winning ball winning midfielder. He was brilliant for Morocco. Um, so it's one of them where they, you know, Fiorentina are like rubbing their hands together, saying we're going to get thirty million for him, but Man United going for him on 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 loan is is a bit cheap, isn't it? Like it's a bit like it's it's very cheeky. It's been widely reported that Amrabat's been rebuffing offer after offer all this summer since June because he's been holding out for, I'm guessing, some kind of assurances from United that have said, let's get our finances in order and we'll come back for you in August and 100% take you. There's been reports that they offered a €2 million loan fee, which was going to be paid in instalments, which is reported by The Athletic. I mean, if I was sending that to Fiorentina, that's, that's not an offer, that's an insult to send that kind of offer. So, I mean, it's an insult not only for the club, but also for the player, as if to say, we want you, but not that much. Like, we don't want you as much as we paid 55 million for Mason Mount at the start of the window. We don't want you as much as paying nearly 80 million for Rasmus Hoyland, who is relatively unknown still, so to speak. So it is it's baffling, I think. And there's been some breaking news as well, just in the last 10 minutes, which makes... It brings a bit of a tear to my eye, to be honest, that the dealings of my football club at the moment, and that's the Athletic, which are reporting that United are now seriously considering taking Spurs left-back Sergio Reguillon on a loan deal. And the only reason is Chelsea's Kukurea started their Carabao Cup game last night, which has all of a sudden complicated the deal. I don't know what to say about this, to be honest. I mean, Sergio Reguillon... We got linked with him about four or five years ago when Jose Mourinho was in charge of Chelsea. We ended up going for Tellez. History shows that was the most stupid decision we could have made. Now we can't get Kukurea potentially because he's already started the game and they wanted him in place for the Arsenal game on Sunday. So now they're resorting to, resorting to Sergio Reguillon who had a loan spell, I believe, at Atletico Madrid not long ago. He was poor. He's not been able to get in the Spurs side for three years now. Why is this good enough for a club like United? It makes no sense to me. How have they not secured someone 
way sooner than this. It's a club that clearly doesn't have any plan. Um, you know, we've just mentioned about uh, about Brighton having a plan, um, and about other clubs like Liverpool maybe not having as much of a plan. But if you, for me, like if you look at Man United's dealings since Ten Hag's came in, I think all is it everyone bar Mason Mount. He's um, and Casemiro that he's worked with before, like he's working, he's he's trying to get players that he's worked with before, like Anthony and like Onana, and that for me just tells you that there's no there's no director of football style role who's identifying players and saying, if we get an injury there we'll go for him, or if we get uh, a big bid for this player we'll go for that player, and it's like. You know, now they're getting linked with Cucurella, who's been crap ever since he moved to Chelsea. For some reason, the Carabao Cup has has put a uh, a, a roadblock in the works. They're now looking at Regulon. I don't think Regulon's that bad a player, but I don't think he's I don't think he's that good. And then, you know, are you just going for him because he's Spurs are out of the Carabao Cup and you can play him in in Morgan? I I don't know. It's it's a. I feel like it's just a club that is lurching round and always chasing the tail in the, in the window type of thing. But it must be frustrating as a fan. Well, luckily it's going to be all over tomorrow, Marley. The transfer deadline is approaching tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow to discuss all of the latest dealings. And let's not forget the Champions League draw for me and you for Newcastle and Manchester United. I'm massively, massively looking forward to it. Marley, who are you wanting in your group? Well, I looked at... You know how they do a, a a rehearsal draw the day before, so Newcastle got, <laughs> uh, I think we got Real Madrid, PSG, and uh, Red Star Belgrade. Oh, wow! <laughs> and I was like, whoa, that's, that's like a group uh, of death. That's interesting. So, yeah, I I don't even know who I want. I want an easy group, but also I want to, I want to play Real Madrid or something at home. Like I want, I'd rather. A big team we're never going to beat, um, and then a team we're we're always going to beat from pot three, and then you know a, one of the easier pot two teams. But if you look at the pots, pot two's hard. Take it from me: one. if there's any better case of being dumped out of a group with better teams compared to worse teams, I'd rather be dumped out with the better teams because it's embarrassing when you get dumped out by the likes of Leipzig and whoever else that we've done in the past. But that's all we've got time for. We'll be back tomorrow with. A nice comprehensive review of all of the latest dealings and, of course, the Champions League draw. We'll see you then.